to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Right then, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. Coming up today, we are getting ready for another NHL draft. Like we talked about in a recent episode, we will have your fourth round mock draft of the Ottawa Senators. No first, second, or third rounders, but I'm sure something will come up between now and and then in the way of a trade. We'll get into that. We'll do another edition of Dissecting Dorian, ladies and gentlemen. Pierre Dorian holding court with the media this week and uh, had lots to say and uh, get into some Eric Carlson talk as well. It sounds like Eric Carlson would be game to come home. It's all still ahead here on the show. I'm Steve Warren, and I'm joined as always by the coach, Greg Kennedy. Greg, how are you? I'm good, Stephen. I'm I am thrilled to be joining you, local podcaster. And I understand we have a special guest with us tonight, local blogger. It's going to be a great show. I can't wait. Excellent. Yes, Graham Nichols is joining us from Rome in a day. Graham, how are you, my friend? Not too bad, Greg and Steve. How are you guys doing? Everything is good. Everything is good. Um, and local podcast story. Yeah, yeah. That was uh We maybe we should reset that. I don't, and I think we can do it without taking sides or anything. But uh, an amusing moment this this week when uh, Post Media's Bruce Garriock referred to our friend Brent Wallace. Both guys are friends of the show. We're Switzerland around here. And uh, I don't know that those two are on the best of terms, let's just say that. And Bruce referenced uh, on Twitter uh, Wally as local podcaster. Jason York and uh, local podcaster. And, uh, and then it took off from there. Everybody got a kick out of that and to the point where Brent Wallace actually changed his uh, his Twitter handle. So, uh, oh, never a dull moment, huh, Graham, when it comes to the local media, right? I, I love the local media stuff. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Until they downsize the local radio station, and then it's like, ah, oh, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Well, that's certainly a talking point. about that at all, have we? Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly a talking point with the uh, uh, TSN 1200, uh, basically – shedding their local programming from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. And as we record this here on June 27th, like there was a lot of stuff going down with the whole Pierre Dorian news conference. That would be absolutely the kind of thing that they would have taken live, but uh, no American programming rattling on in the background. That was uh, that was a tough look for what's supposed to be local sports radio, Greg. Yeah, I I get it. It's all about finances and stuff like that. Um, but I just think that when, when, when we lose something local, be it uh, print media or in this case, obviously radio, it's just one more step closer to it all dying. And it's, it's kind of sad. Yeah. I saw post media and Toronto star merging up here as we uh, just were about to flip the mics on it. Uh, make sure, do we have a CRTC that's supposed to protect these interests and, in- and uh, I just thought about it. Uh, Graham, your thoughts on uh, the local media landscape right now? I think you would know better than anyone. Uh, just the pains and, and, and the feelings of, of what goes into these decisions. But it's uh, to me, it just as someone who listens to the station all the time, like whether you're going into work or you're just driving around the city running errands and stuff, it's just, it's it's gutting. Like when I tune in in the morning, like, like for example, like today's news breaks at what, like 11 period, you already holds a media availability at 11 a.m. There's no local coverage. You're cutting into Dan Patrick's show. And it's like, how does that, how does that even make sense? It's like the day after 
Michael Andlauer buys the senators. It's the whole station goes black because they have a closed doors, all meeting, all staff meeting. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, like you go, you pivot from what's supposed to be like one of the most optimistic times of the year, uh, team sold from the Melnick era and you can't go on local radio, local sports radio and listen to it. And, and just listen to the, the callers. You can't listen to the hosts. And it's just, it's, it's gutting. I, I feel for the people who are, who've been adversely affected by the layoffs. I, I feel for people who've been adversely affected by the layoffs before. And, uh, it's sad. It's sad that there's a billion dollar industry that's just, you know, they're into the telecoms or the internet or cell phone, uh, usage. And, uh, they're just not investing in media They're That's where they're cutting the money just for shareholders else so it's sad it's it's sad that good people who are good at their jobs are being laid off i was there from 2000 to 2019 and i do get you know since the latest round of layoffs simmer lever sage uh, layoffs across the country um, i have had people sort of go hey that must be pretty satisfying to see them out getting there no no not not at all like when I was the sports director at what was then Y105 and uh, Oldies 1310, I was a consumer of TSN 1200. It was OSR then. I loved the fact that sports radio had arrived in my town. I listened to it all the time when I was on a rival radio company. And now, even after 2019 and the disappointing moment I had then, I still am a consumer. I still love sports. I'm still an Ottawa guy. And uh, yeah, I'm, I. it's just the opposite when people come at me with that. So um disappointing for sure and and I, I i i would like to say that i have faith that things will bounce back but i have absolute supreme belief that it will not and unfortunately i think it's it's just basically it's a case of when that sends contract runs out they'll probably find something else to do with that radio station or they will divest themselves of it permanently and that's that is an absolute shame all right go ahead greg well, one thing that it gets me though, I don't understand why they can't come up with a national program. Like I, I understand they, they close stations, but there's still TSN stations across the country, a, a few. Why can't you run a national program from 10 until two? I think they are doing some Toronto programming now. It's a two hour show and it's about betting and fantasy. And it's a national show though. It's played on all the TSN affiliates, but why couldn't they like a Bob McCowan type thing, get get a guy, one guy even. You don't have to pay four guys or whatever. Get one guy, pay him a decent salary, and he does a national daily show from ten until two. Like, is that too much to ask? I don't know. It, uh, I don't know where you're at on it, Graham. But for me, I'm not really a sports radio fan. I'm an Ottawa sports radio fan. <laughs> I I'm, I'm a promote local as much as you can uh, kind of person. I don't like. I, I love American sports. I love baseball. I love football. I love basketball. Um, it's it's nice hearing that stuff, but it's like I don't want to hear that on local sports radio. Like, yeah, hey, right. like perfect examples today. Like, Pierre Dorian has his media availability from the draft uh, today in Nashville, and you're wondering, oh shit, is uh, TSN 12 going to cover this? Are they going to broadcast this live, or like, where am I getting this feed? Unfortunately, Elliot Friedman uh, tweeted out a link uh, to Sportsnet's. Uh, feed of his Zoom meeting, but I had no idea whether or not this was going to appear on Ottawa TSN twelve hundred. Yeah, and that's that's where we're at. It's it's totally disappointing. 
Um, and, and I feel for all the guys at the station are adversely affected by this. It's just, it's, it's disappointing and it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you do. It's, it's, it's super frustrating because for people who listen to the station all the time, it's, where do you go? Yeah. Where are you supposed to go? Where are you supposed to go for your sports news? Where are you supposed to go for your Senators coverage? There's so many, there are so many people who are insecure about the Toronto Maple Leafs. They don't want Leafs centric coverage. Where do they go for Senator specific coverage? And it's, it's just pushing people more and more to the internet, uh, you know, podcasts and, and everything else. And it's like, it's going to be up to people like yourself to, to provide like up to the minute content for people. Do we, do well, we start doing a live podcast every day from 10 to two, Steve? <laughs> Is that what I'm hearing Graham suggest there? Well, it's, it's, it's certainly something I would wonder because, I mean, the bulk of the listeners to CSN 1200, you know, they like the convenience of flicking on the radio on their car and stuff. It's that extra step to find a yeah. podcast, as I've learned in these last four years, that, uh, I mean, some of the smartest, wealthiest friends that I have, they basically take me aside. So tell me about this podcast thing. What is it? How do I listen to it? It's like, dude, give me your phone. See that little pink thing? That little pink square there on the front of your freaking phone, hit that. Hit Sens Nation podcast. You're there. But that extra step, I would wonder if um, if somebody could really make a go of it or not. All right, let's just jump in today because we've got lots to get to. Um, didn't mean to spend 10 minutes on the local sports media scene, but uh, an interesting conversation for sure. Introducing the future of driving with Ford Electric Vehicles, now available at Jim K. Ford. Say goodbye to gas stations and hello to efficiency with electric power that delivers a smooth and silent ride. With advanced technology and smart features, you'll experience a whole new level of convenience and connectivity. And with Ford's commitment to sustainability, you'll also be doing your part for the planet. So come on down to Jim K. Ford today and test drive the future with Ford EVs or visit us online at JimKFord.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! ADSS Global is your trusted partner for all your accounting and financial management needs. Our team of certified Sage 300 experts will help you streamline your financial operations, optimize your cash flow, and improve your bottom line. We have the solutions. Hear what one of our satisfied customers has to say. The Algonquin Students Association has been with ADSS for over 10 years. Mark and his ADSS team are reliable and respond quickly to our requests and needs. Call ADSS Global today at 613-221-5950 or email mcashman at adssglobal.net. So let's get into dissecting Dorian. Do you want the jingle, Greg? Do you want it? You don't want it? No, I don't. I don't think you're excited. Let's do it. All right, I'm going to play it right here. Here it is. Can I win a Juno for that? <laughs> oh, it's a great jingle. Like, it, 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 it literally cost a million dollars to come up with that. So uh, thanks to uh, our team of writers and uh, the singers. <laughs> there were some dancers in there as well. You couldn't hear the dissecting Dorian dancers. But uh, anyway, let's get to it. Now let's get to the real stuff. It's good. It's good. All right. So Pierre Dorian joining the media, uh, basically holding a, a Zoom call today with, uh, it sounded like, I don't know, four or five local media members getting smaller all the time and uh, talked about a number of things as he always does leading into every NHL draft. And the first thing he was asked about by Bruce Garriock was kind of a two-parter about uh, connections with Michael Andlauer, the incoming owner. And uh, the other thing was, oh yeah, DJ Smith and what his future is with the Sens. Through this wholesale process, uh, had a few meetings with Michael uh, we followed up with a few texts 
um, after the SOC. We met, I met with Michael last week in Ottawa for a big part of the day. Uh, it went very well. I think he's very excited uh, to be the future owner of this team. Uh, it's exciting for us in hockey because we're dealing with someone that has a passion for the game. Uh, we've followed up with multiple calls since then. Um, and um, it went very well. Uh, I think he's aware of our plan. He's aware of what we're trying to do here. And uh, I think it bodes well for a fan and the organization. All right. So that's the connections that Pierre Dorian has had so far with incoming owner Michael Andlauer. And the other part of this is um, the fact that uh, he was asked about DJ Smith and uh, what his future is. And it feels like we've skipped a step when we go right to what's the future of DJ Smith before talking about where Pierre Dorian lies. But anyway, Pierre went right into it and declared what DJ Smith's status is for this fall. Uh, I made a recommendation to the board uh, a little while back, uh, and obviously I consulted with Michael. Uh, DJ Smith and his staff will be back next year. Um, In dealing with Michael, he said that the general manager uh, runs the hockey operations, and he decides the coach, and my recommendation was for DJ to stop to be back next year. So DJ Smith and his staff, after missing the playoffs four straight years, at least three of those years, just colossal, bad, bad starts. But uh, getting another chance, uh, it sounds like, Graham, both Dorian and DJ Smith are going to get to try and finish what they started. I don't know what the alternative is, right? Like, Ann Lauer is going to officially take over the team probably, what, the pro- early earliest projections are, like, right before training camp in September. Um. So you're kind of hamstrung. You're a, little, you're a little bit hamstrung in terms of what you can do, what you can't do. I know that they can consult. Uh, Dorian admitted that he's been texted with him regularly and uh, running ideas by him and whatnot. But uh, ultimately, like, you're not going to fire DJ Smith, hire someone, and then have Antler turn around, hire a new general manager, and have him bring in his own guy shortly thereafter. Like, that doesn't make any sense. You're, you're, you're essentially in a, you're in a situation where you're, probably going to have to let these guys have rain a bit until you can hire all people in place. And until September, that's, that's essentially what's going to happen uh, for better or worse. Um, is that the best thing for the organization right now? I don't know. I probably argue probably not. Um, ideally this process, the sale process would have concluded months ago. Um, but here we are in June, late June, almost early July, uh, pivotal moment in terms of player transactions. You got the NHL draft right now. Uh, in terms of talking trades, moving players, this is one of the most pivotal points of the off season. Uh, July first being another with the opening of the unrestricted free agency. Um, you're you're dealing with the incumbents, and for better or worse, you're 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 entrusting Pierre Dorian to run the ship. And I don't know that he's the best person for the job right now, but that's that's where we're at until they he can bring until Michael Anlauer. Right, I think the one positive, I'm, I'm going to go with the positive here. The one positive is that I have faith in Pierre Doriel that regardless of whether we all look at it as he makes a good move or he makes a bad, I have faith in his belief that everything he does is for the, for the good of his team. He's not going to go off and, I, I mean, people are talking about it's he's fighting for his job, but he might do something rash. I don't think that's going to happen. I honestly believe that he cares so deeply about this team that, that he will try to do what is right and what is best for this team no matter what. Unfortunately, we don't agree with that. We, we don't agree that that uh, DJ Smith is the right coach for this team. I, I don't agree that uh, 
the inner workings of the staff that are around Pierre are the right people for this job, or there should be more people doing the job. But unfortunately, we're living with it now. He's there. So I'll stick with the positive that he's going to do what's best for this team and what he thinks, what he thinks is best for this team. And, and I have a little bit of confidence. That I've never liked the defensive structure. I don't know that I've seen, you know, nearly the improvements you would like to see. But I will say, and I have said before, in evaluating both men and the work they've done, they haven't had good working conditions. In the case of DJ Smith as the head coach, we can all agree he wasn't exactly handed the keys to a Cadillac as far as a roster goes. And they did improve this past season, six points of a playoff spot. So I guess you could look at that. I'd go to a new coach. That's just the way I look at it. As far as the GM goes, I probably would see what Pierre Dorian can do one more year. But um, again, evaluating where he's at, how can you possibly judge a guy who's had Eugene Melnick uh, basically creating this shadow over everything he tries to do? Um, I, I just, I'd like to see what Pierre Dorian can do without the specter of Eugene Melnick. Um, whether Michael Andlauer improves that or not, I don't know. We'll find out. Time will tell. We'll see what kind of money he actually has after paying this whole thing. Putting together a billion dollars is a big ask. And then you get into the operational costs. So I think right now, um, I, I mean, I, w I want a new coach, but I think I need to look at both guys and say they haven't exactly had uh, fair circumstances for me to fully evaluate them and say they've got to go. So that's that's sort of how I look at it. Coach out, GM stays. But, uh, yeah. That's where uh, Pierre Dorian was this week. Like, what what kind of rain legitimately do you think that that Ed Lauer is giving Dorian, and what kind of rain do you think that Dorian is giving DJ Smith? Like, I, I'm I'm of the opinion that Alfie's going to be involved in some way, shape, or form. I think we know that Alfie and Pierre Dorian are not going to get along. I have a feeling that either Pierre gets let go the day before Alfie gets announced, or the day after. Like that's coming down the, down the pike. So I, I really believe that once Andlauer's in, does he judge Pierre on the whole summer and then step in in September at the start of the season and let him go? How long what, How long are Rainey giving these guys? What do you think? I'll go to Grim. Uh, it seems like the team's always out of the postseason by November. So I'd say <laughs> yeah. by November. November, is a, November seems like the safe bet. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a great question. It really depends. I, I have no idea. Like, the team's supposed to go, what, November 16th and 18th to Stockholm to go play in Europe. I think, like, Ian Mendes wrote an article for The Athletic saying, like, that was that was the projected timeline when he thinks, you know, like, those those guys will have their reign. Uh, it's a great question because, like, you know, if you're hiring a candidate for a GM position or a coaching position, you want them involved prior to that. You, you would want some someone entering the picture, like, you know, like a month and a half into the season. So it, it it's going to be fascinating, fascinating to watch play out. I have no idea what's going to happen. There's there's a ton of pressure on both individuals uh, to put their best foot forward. Um, I think both are both are fighting for their jobs. I like it. You know, like I, I think what Pierre Doran's the first GM in what the modern era has to miss the playoffs six straight seasons and still retain his job. Yeah, we all I think we all know why that is, right? Um, but DJ Smith, the players love him. Uh, I think in most instances, like he's the first professional head coach for a lot of these players, and he's a player's he's a player's first coach. And I, I can understand why players players like him and everything else. But at the same time, 
you look at the defensive breakdowns, you look at the, the attention to detail, you look at everything else that has gone wrong in the last like three and a half, four years. And it's maybe, maybe it's time to make a change. Maybe it's time to, to bring in someone who could change a little structure, teach a little bit, um, be less of a best friend and more of a teacher. Um, and we talk about budget and everything else. Like, like Jacques Martin won and taught structure with little, with little money, you know, like 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and here we are today having the question of like, do you need a big budget to bring in someone to teach structure? And I think the answer is no. Um, so it, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think the roster roster could change tomorrow, depending on what happens with the brink at. So, um, so many things to go into what happens prior to prior to September, but um, it's <laughs> so many, there's so many storylines. Like, where do you where do you even start with this team? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it never ends. And I, I would argue that this is also a case of Andlar's got too much in his plate right now. It's one of those. Okay, you know what? You guys handle that for now. I've got too much else to worry about. I think you know this team went up for sale last November. If by January, February, Andlar had taken this thing over. And had a chance to get his feet wet and, and and get all the contractual and legal stuff put away. Get his little partnership all together. I mean, I'm hearing that is still piecemeal, actually. It's still not necessarily completed. There's still, you know, pursuit of money out there and partnerships. He gets all that done and he gets a chance to watch the end of the season and into, you know, and, and then he can start thinking about draft and, and free agency and, and what this team looks like. Then I think you probably have a, a greater chance of change at either the GM or the coach position for the here and now. I, I just don't think he has time to deal with it, and uh, and he's probably just going with the status quo for that reason. Now, Alex Dabrinkit, that would be a big talking point leading into the draft, obviously. It hasn't been a big talking point really since the end of the season, and uh, this is what uh, the latest was from Pierre Dorian in Nashville today on Talks with Alex Dabrinkit. We liked Alex when we traded for him. Obviously, pretty much from training camp last year, we approached our camp about signing an extension. Uh, they wanted to see how Ottawa was at the end of the year. Uh, their camp indicated to us that free agency only come once, probably for Alex in his career, and they weren't ready to sign long-term with us. Uh, at that point in time, uh, we we decided to go to, obviously, club-elect arbitration um, and just to protect ourselves. Uh and right now we're talking to teams about possible moving He hasn't asked for a trade, but at the same time we have to do what's best for the organization. And if he's not willing to sign a long-term contract with us, uh, I think it's our duty to do what's best for us at this point in time. So, Greg, there's a little vindication on the source that I had that was talking about he didn't request a trade. He wasn't saying, like, I, I kept hearing rumors about he wants out. He wants out of Ottawa. He doesn't want to play in Canada, that sort of thing. What's simply happening here is standard operating procedure where you've got a, a young hockey player. He's deferring entirely to his agents, and his agents do not want to forego the riches of the open auction of unrestricted free agency, whether it's an extension right now or UFA and, and the full auction next year. They don't want to forego all that unless the Sens or whatever team he ends up with makes it worth their while. So... That's step one, and and Dorian kind of confirms that there. Um, what do you guys think is going to happen? What do you guys think is going to happen? What do you guys think is going to happen with Alex Dabrinkit? Easy for me to say. I think I I think the Pierre Luc Dubois trade kind of helps out a little bit. 
um, just in terms of opportunity costs that w- was acquired. Like the Kings today, they acquired like Alex Iafalo, you know, almost a 40 point guy. Uh, Gabriel Velarde, former first round pick, uh, good player, 23 goals for um, you talk about Rasmus Kapari, another first round pick, and then you add another second round pick on top of that package. Um, obviously Dubois signed a long-term extension with LA, uh, to move on from Winnipeg. I think that's kind of what Otto was hoping for, like get a good opportunity cost, get a lot of young players back in the mix. They built this young core. I think if you look at Ottawa's farm system, uh, they've graduated many of their best players. Uh, there's not a lot of safely projectable high upside guys left in that farm system, which is a shortcoming of the team. Um, it's, it, I think it's just one of those situations where it's like, if they're going to move this guy, they have to get a lot back. They're, they're not in a position where they can't afford to get like good pieces back. And I think the Dubois trade kind of like forms the blueprint of what Ottawa sh- should be looking for. Uh, we see some, some kick around, uh, proposals online, uh, from Detroit and stuff. And it's just like, there's a lot of unappealing trades where you're just like, uh, I don't know if I do that, but at the same time, like I don't know if you can go into next season with Alex DeBrincat unsigned on a contract extension and risk the possibility. I know, it's, and, and to further that point, it's like Mark Stone kind of went into the season on the same kind of trip, like that same kind of deal, right? He was on a one-year contract. You bring him back, and it's like, okay, well, a lot of teams are blocking and trading a premium, uh, premium price for this awesome talent because they know he's not going to sign a contract extension. And I, that that is my concern with the break ad. Like, if 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 you go into the season with this guy on your roster, which is fine, if you're not happy with the, with the prices right now, that's fine. But you're risking injury, and you're risking the chance that teams aren't going to be willing to pay a premium. For Greg, yeah, I, I agree with you on the LA deal. Like, to, to me, the ask is a player of of top six caliber or or top six projectable talent, uh, a secondary player who. Uh, hopefully plays in your middle six, uh, a first round pick, and then the proverbial got to throw in a second. I think that's probably what the ask is. The problem is that the teams that are out there who have assets to give you are the teams that, that, that sorry, the teams that have those, those assets are the rebuilding teams and they don't want to give up those assets. Like right? Anybody who's got cap space to take this on doesn't have the assets. Anybody who doesn't have the cap space They've got the assets, but they're not going to give them up. Like if I'm a if I'm a contending team, I probably can't take on that kind of salary, and I don't want to give up the kind of guys you want because I don't have them. You yeah. look at Detroit; they've got all these prospects, a lot of good stock and draft picks, but they're still kind of sort of rebuilding, and they need those draft picks. They need those players moving forward. It's like you know, Pierre played his hand early and gave up the kind of things that he wants now for Debrinket. He already gave them up. So to go to Detroit's looking at that and say, do we want to give up that to get to break it? And what if it doesn't work out for us or any other team that's in that sort of situation? That's the biggest problem is that the, the teams that were, that have what you want, don't want to give it up. And it's just, it's very, very difficult. So you're stuck looking at it thinking, all right, is it going to be one of those things where he just acquires a first, a second and, you know, a, a fourth liner? And that's not going to work because that whoever he acquires in draft picks, those guys are two, three years away. It just doesn't work that way. So it's got to be somebody who's going to step in the lineup and play. And I don't know that you're going to find it. It's going to be difficult. Yeah. And one of the rumored guys who's possibly on the move is like Philip Zadina, right? 
Detroit. Don't want it. And, and, no, but like Detroit's in a similar position to Ottawa where they're going through a rebuilding phase of their franchise development. And if that's the guy that they're willing to cut loose, like, yeah, that that's that's a bit of a red flag right there, right? That's Steve's favorite red flag. <laughs> if somebody's willing to give that guy up, then right off the bat, I got quite, why do you want to get that guy up? Right? And it makes sense. Matt Murray effect. Oh, absolutely. I don't want to give that guy up. And that's what I'm but saying. But if, if they are willing to give the guy up, then obviously they don't see him as uh, their top first or second prospect. They see other people in that role. So just get Zadina right off the table. Just say, look, stop talking about Zadina. If it's going to be Detroit, it better be somebody else. And it better be better. I look at that Montreal deal today. Like Alex Newhook, a 22-year-old RFA for a first and a second. Montreal is trying to expedite. They're trying to get a guy that they believe is ready to pop right now. And I think that's probably since, well, and we'll talk about this in a second, Pierre Dorian said today, you know, probably, probably not a first rounder in the cards for this year. So that would suggest he's going to try and find somebody like that. That's going to you know, sort of jive with the window of opportunity here for the Ottawa senators. But um, back to the point about a uh, one-year deal for Alex to I'm not necessarily against that. Certainly, Graham, I certainly see the concern about injury. That could really muck things up. But, I mean, it's time for this team to get to the playoffs. Do you buy into that, though? Like, like you've, you've got through it. You build for a window. You don't build for one year. And, like, I, I, I know there's the instant gratification about making the playoffs for a year. But, like, if you make the playoffs for a year, you get waxed in four games. Do you really care that you made the playoffs? Like if you went in this year and you and you played against Boston or you played against Tampa or you played against Toronto or like any of those other top eight teams, like the East is so loaded, so loaded. And like it, you watch what New Jersey just did, grabbing like Tyler Toffoli for like two cents on the dollar this afternoon. Uh, these teams in the East are just stacking up, and like they have so many smart people working for these organizations. Like Carolina is another team. There's so many good organizations in the East. Like, you shouldn't just be loading up for one run. You should be loading up for four, two, three, four, five years. You shouldn't be looking at a one-year window saying, hey, we really need to make the playoffs this year. It's like, well, if that was the case, we should have just kept our seventh overall pick and then built for a bigger window. Like, oh, yeah, you could, you could definitely. Like, Pierre Dorian rolled the dice on a one-year contract for DeBrinkett, and his intent was to convince him to stay. Say, hey, this is a great young group. We have a bunch of young Americans. This is a great place to raise a young family. He didn't do that. He didn't convince him to stay at all. That was the gamble he took, and it blew up in his face, and here we are. And they're in a position where they have to they have to play for the biggest window. Like, you're already starting to, I don't want to say pissing away, like, the early years, the prime years of, like, Tim Stutz, Brady Kachuk, and everything else, but that's kind of what they're doing. You can't you can't just, like, go for these short-term stopgap moves and then hope it works in the interim. You have to build something that's, like, a cohesive, big unit, and I my concern is that Ottawa's front office isn't just, they're not, they're not smart enough to do that. It's, it's always stopgap measures. It's always like cutting and pasting over the mistakes. And that's, that's, that's my biggest concern with this thing right now. And I'm kind of concerned. Like I have no idea what Pierre Dorian's motivations are making this to break that trade. Is he going to trade for the best trade return that might necessarily be like a mid long-term package? Or is he going to try and play for a short-term solution that will bridge the gap to the next year or two? I don't know. I have no idea what he's going to do. It's terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. So to finish the thought, uh, the one-year deal, uh, I think he, I'm okay with it. I mean, obviously my first priority, if it's decided that, you know, he's not going to be in the long-term mix, my first priority, if something comes along that can make you a better team right now, great. 
But my feeling is that based on the buzz I'm hearing right now, uh, it doesn't sound like, you know, there's that big home run deal happening before the draft comes along or even this summer. Um, so my point is I'd be okay because I want this team to, you know, get over this six year hump. I, I think it's important for these kids to start experiencing playoffs and Alex Dabrinkit, if he goes and plays 60 games for the Ottawa Senators this year, that's going to help things along. And if you feel at that stage, at the trade deadline, that you can take your shot here, like this, oh, my God, they've done this unbelievable New Jersey Devils-like turnaround going from 28th overall two years ago to third overall in the league this year, you maybe take your shot. And you, okay, we're going to sacrifice that the same way everybody sacrifices at the trade deadline, picking up rentals to take their shot. But if we have the sense of, okay, it's going to be a first-round waxing or not going to get to the playoffs at the 60-game mark, and we'll have enjoyed Alex Dabrinkit for 60 more games, then you can make a deal. And I would argue you can probably make something pretty comparable um, as far as a deal goes at the trade deadline as you can right now based on what I'm hearing around the league right now. So that's that's sort of how I look at the one-year contract for Alex to bring it. I think you can get away with it. And by the way, you're getting a pretty damn good hockey player. Who's a better hockey player than a guy in his contract year auditioning for the entire NHL? So here's a question for you, though. I'm looking at Calgary's situation right now, right? Like, mm-hmm. they they had Daryl Sutter, Matt Kachuk walked, Johnny Goudreau walked. You can't be in a position where you're fighting for a playoff spot, you're in the playoff mix, and then trading Alex Dabrinkat out, right? Right? No, I didn't suggest they would do that. I would say that they would. But if they're in a playoff the position, come the trade down. If they're in a playoff position, come the trade deadline, with the breakout on the roster, they're probably not trading him. I'm saying, I'm saying, if you're like, if you're hanging around as a bubble team and you don't feel like you got it going on, you could move him out. If you if you're suddenly a second in the Atlantic, then you sacrifice the player, just as any any contender would. Or as you say, you, you think Ottawa is in a position where they could let him walk at the end of the year, regardless? I don't think that. But if that happens, then that's how I handle it. That's tough. Uh, that'd be it. That'd be a tough pill to swallow. I don't know. Uh, but my thing also is that at the trade deadline, who's looking to add an Alex to bring it? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a contender. And a contender's not going to give you a top six player. A contender is going to give you that futures package. And I don't late. think that's what's wanted here. And a lot of la- a lot of late first round picks with it, right? Yeah, right. Okay, Ooh, we got a first rounder from Boston. They're not Boston's probably not a good uh, contender for next season, but whoever it is. Some contender at the trade deadline wants to take Alex to break it. They give you a first rounder. He's probably in the 20s, that first round pick. You're not getting a top six forward. You're not getting a, a goaltender that maybe you could get this summer. You're not getting what you need for the here and now. You're getting more futures. And I, they're beyond that. That ship sailed. They, they played their futures cards. They've got all these players now. So it's time to, to build and go from here. I just I don't agree with, with futures. Does anybody want Alex to bring it at $9 million a year for the next eight years? I think this might goes up, right? Like they're talking about the cap escalating as much as $10 million after this season. So maybe that's yeah. an opportunity where they keep him for the season and say, Hey, you know, now we have the cap, the caps flexibility to sign you long term. I don't know. Maybe that affects their decision. So you would do, you would do Alex to bring it at eight years, $9 million. Well, what did Dubois just sign for? He almost signed for 9 million, didn't he? Like, ah, it's, I know a different position, center, you can play both ways. I don't know. But he's never been a point-of-game player. No. That's right. Um, 
and you've got a lot of guys that suddenly are way more valuable to the team that are yeah. not making what Alex Dabrinkit is anymore. But Bois passed 60 points like three times. He's never cracked 30 goals. Like No. But Dabrinkit is a smallish scoring winger. He's not uh, – is he a playoff guy? Is, is he a guy who's going to put his team on his back and carry him through the playoffs like a back of truck? Just did. You know, well, versus a big, could, strong guy. He could be a Marcheseau, though. Like, Marcheseau yeah. just had an excellent postseason. Right? Like, you need those power play guys. And DeBrick has been an excellent power play guy for a very long time. And for your team to have any success in the postseason, you have to score on, on the power play. And that's where he's effective. And he can help. He can help a lot of teams. I'll, just, I'll admit there's a part of me that just do the trade now because I want to start dissecting the trade. <laughs> Because because we go around in circles on this one. Do when all the questions? When do they trade them? And what kind of package should they be looking for? Right. And and what? Well, here's a question, Graham. I I eliminate Detroit right off the bat because I don't want Alex Tabrikat playing in my division. How do you feel about that? I think it depends on the trade return. Like I like okay with it. If it's a good return, you're okay with a blade in Detroit. Absolutely. It depends on what you're getting back, and it better not be Philip Zadina. Exactly. Yeah. The other factor is you're talking, about, you're talking about like one of the top 10 ranked system farm systems in, in the league. I don't like, I know you don't want futures and everything else. But it depends on what you do. It, 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 like if you get first round picks back in return and you flip those assets for there, that's a whole other story. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the best, like it, territory's probably got a lot of balls in the air. That's why I'm thinking it might be a three way trade. I could take those futures from Detroit or whoever and, and trade them somewhere else for the player you need if you can't make a straight-up trade for the player you need, right? Yeah. I would say that, just to chime in on the question I asked a moment ago, uh, whether I want to, to bring it at yeah. $9 million for eight years, I think it's not ideal, but I would like to move out somebody else. Uh, if I'm, I mean, I, I like, for example, to bring it better at uh, at those numbers than I like, say, Thomas Shabbat at $8 million, for example, just throwing that out there. And you have to factor in as well that obviously Jake Sanderson is going to get a massive payday next year. And the year after that, Jacob Chikrin, depending on what he does in the next two years, if he can stay in one piece, uh, he's probably going to get a big contract as well. So like you guys said, a lot of balls in the air and uh, and a lot of you know future gazing. And I don't know that that's been the Sens specialty here in the last year or two. How, how about the, the the fact or the theory that possibly Kachuk and Stutzla are the Ray Borks of this club and that nobody's going to make more? You know, is is that out? That I've heard that muttered about. I mean, I, I even floated it here one day when we were talking, Steve. I wonder if that's a part of Pierre's game here is that, look, they're, they're the guys. They're going to make the most. Nobody's going to make more. How do you enforce that? Harry Sinden did it for decades, but of course pre-cap days yeah different times but i wonder if that factors into this hmm. i don't it's a great it's a great way to drive cost down for other players yeah it's, it's essentially the opposite of the toronto maple Leafs, right it's like john Tavares signs this big deal and then yeah. all of a sudden matthews and martyrs come up on uh the conclusion of their elcs their entry-level contracts they, all, the those guys don't want more money than Tavares. you you could sit down with alex to it or anybody and say look this is Matthew Kachuk. Look at what he does. This is Tim Stutzel. Look at what he does for our team. I'm sorry. I love you, but you're not you're not going past them with a the salary. Right. I, I could see a GM saying that. 
And I think one of the things that kind of struck me, I, I was home for more from the breakout last year, which was like just driving play. And I, I didn't see, I didn't see a ton of that. Like he's an excellent finisher. I thought he had a little, like a ton of bad luck last year, just inordinate amount of bad luck last year. But like one of the things that struck me about him was just like, he's not necessarily a play driver. He's just, uh, I don't know if he's just a good wingman, like it's just a great finisher and, and that's all he is. But like further to your point, like he's an underside finisher and you know, like, not a lot of teams might have a use for a guy like that in the postseason. So right. I don't know. It's 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 food for thought in terms of like how you want to build and construct this roster. Move. What do you think exactly is the window of opportunity for this team right now with the core as we know it? How long is that window exactly? Because my belief is that it's five years because that's how long Brady Kachuk is under contract. I think it's a five-year window right now. I think when we we're about to bring up Eric Carlson, for example, um, that's a guy that has four years left on his contract, and everybody says, "Oh my God, you can't have that." It's like you can, you can, you can convince me in a lot of ways to not acquire Eric Carlson, but I don't know if the length of time left on his contract should be among that because he's got four years left on his contract. Thomas Shabbat's got four years left on his contract, and Brady Kachuk has five. I love Brady Kachuk, but I don't know that he hasn't got a bigger game plan after these five years are up. He probably will want to play with his brothers somewhere. I'm sure they'll conspire to make that happen. I feel like the the window of opportunity is is, is aligned with Brady Kachuk's contract. What do you guys think? I'm a terrible host. I should be saying names here. Greg, go ahead. <laughs> like I, I would agree with you that that factors into it. But that's that's also that's an assumption on your part that Brady's not going to resign here um, five years from now. To me, there's a there's a natural progression, and that progression starts with. We just missed the playoffs. Then you finally make the playoffs and get your ass handed to you. Then you finally, you know, you make the playoffs and you maybe do well in the first round. Uh, you might win, you might not. Then you then you have a heartbreak loss in the second round. Then the next year, oh, you're suddenly you're in the final four or you make it to the Stanley Cup. There's sort of a progression you have to follow. Mm-hmm. New Jersey came out of the blue this year and didn't follow that. And that screwed a lot of people up. But that's the general progression that teams follow. Do you continue? Do you say that last year coming six points for a playoff spot was getting close and then next year they're going to make it and, and get swept? And is that where they're at? Has this window opened already? Uh, I, they're not good enough to me to, to be counted amongst the, the elite teams in the league. They're not good enough to be, I don't even think they're good enough to be a team that's going to surprise in the playoffs. Their defense and goaltending last year and so far what it's going to be next year will, would never allow the Ottawa Senators to be a surprise playoff performer the way that Florida was or the way that we see teams do that every year. So I don't even think the window's opened yet, Steve. So if it's if it's five years, I think it's probably more like three years and it doesn't even start for another two years from now. That's well, that's depressing. Way. Yeah. Uh, Graham? I, I I feel like yeah, I'm on the same the same hey. line as you, uh, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. No, I, but then, like, like five, I, I would say, like Brady Kachuk's Brady Kachuk's contract makes a fair window. And is it open? Is the window even open? That's not his fault. Um, I, I would hang that on. I would hang that on management, right? Like, here we are. The team's traded away what two top ten picks in the last, or well, they used one on Tyler Boucher. They used one to acquire DeBrincat, and they have nothing to show for it yet. And these are supposed to be like impactful, some of the most impactful prospects that you can bring into an organization. Uh, and they haven't done anything with it. you. Acquiring Alex to bring that for one year in a non postseason year is just a waste. It's a waste of assets. 
unfortunately. And it remains to be seen what we get for him. But um, hey, it feels like a two, like one step forward, two steps back kind of thing with the organization where they've made a bunch of short strided trades trying to uh, preserve the same short-term competitiveness and it's worked against them. And it's put them in a position where they're kind of chasing the eight ball. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be the chicken little and say the sky's falling because, you know, you got Tim Stusel locked up to a long-term uh, contract that should be relatively inexpensive by the end of it because you're projecting forward, the cap's going up every year and we're talking about possibly like a $10 million. I know it's got a lot of desirable players that are going to be on inexpensive deals, uh, you know, like five, six years out. I think you, like Boston's a perfect example, right? Like when guys like Pasternak and Marshawn were signing those extensions when the team was having like Stanley Cup success early on in their careers, um, they signed these extensions that were just uh, sweetheart deals. And then when you get to the end of those deals, you're like, holy crap, what a bargain. Yeah. And I think we're going to be saying the same thing about guys like Brady Kachuk and Tim Stussel by the end of it. So, um, it, I, I think five years is generous. I think that's that's probably the window. Uh, maybe it's a little bit longer because Tim's signed for another couple of years beyond that. Um, yeah, you're probably looking at a five to six year window, I would say. Looking for a vehicle that's environmentally friendly and fun? Look no further than the Ford Mustang Mach-E available now at Jim K. Ford. This electric car will have you laughing all the way to the bank with savings on gas and maintenance costs without giving up excitement and performance. And with zero emissions, you can finally breathe easy, literally. So if you want a car that's as exhilarating as it is eco-friendly, come down to Jim K. Ford today and take a spin in one of our Mach-E's today. Visit us online at jimkford.com. At Jim K. Ford Lee. Now, uh, first rounders, uh, that, that came up in the uh, news conference today. Wayne Scanlon from Sportsnet asked the question about, um, you know, maybe getting into the first round. Because right now, as we mentioned, Sens don't have a first rounder, second rounder, or third rounder. And it's certainly a temptation. You're sort of in this pseudo job audition for an incoming owner. It's probably not ideal for Pierre Dorian to be just sitting at the draft table for... 107 selections until he finally gets to pick. So Wayne asked today about whether he might get into the first round somewhere. I don't think that's going to happen, Wayne. Um, it, in all possible scenarios that we've talked about, uh, you know, we're a team that's had multiple first rounders for many years. Last year was the first time in a long time that we didn't have a first rounder uh, under my tenure, as whether it was as GM, assistant GM. Uh, director of personnel, Chief Amateur Scout. We've had many years, we've had a lot of picks. And this year, in my personal evaluation of scouting and uh, watching a lot of these players play, what it, whether it was through the prospect game or going out of scouting when we had breaks, uh, we just felt that if there was a year that not to have a first shotter, this could be the year not to have one. Um, so at that point in time, I don't see us, you know, I, I think there's always a possibility of a second rounder coming into play or a third rounder coming into play, but I don't see us moving up to the first round this year. I'm curious about the strategy behind that. Like why, why even articulate that to anybody? You know, you don't know what's going to come along with the Alex to deal between now and uh, the start of the draft or in the process of the first round on Wednesday night. I, I just, I found that interesting. I don't know. I don't think it's a bad thing to say what he said, but I, I, I don't know what the strategy is behind it, Greg. What, what do you think? That's part of Pierre's personality, right? I, I think Pierre likes to explain things and, and give background on decisions he makes. And I think afterwards, he often, somebody probably says to him, gee, Pierre, maybe you shouldn't have said that. I think to come out and admit that you don't think there's a lot in this first round this year, uh, that, that can really come back and bite you two, three, four years from now when the guy drafted 12th is the best player in the league or something. Um, to me, I, I, 
I get that the fact that they traded him, they got to break it. Okay, it was good. And we all loved it at the time. Nobody said it was a bad thing. But I still don't think you're at the stage yet where they should have been trading a first-round pick. I think they jumped the gun by at least one year in giving up that first-rounder last year and this year's, and now you've got nothing to show. Why is he talking about not getting a first-rounder, do you think, Graham? Uh, I think he's... I, I mentioned this on Twitter today, and uh, Sean Simpson had a great response, and it was like it was it was vintage Brian Murray, where you underpromise and then overdeliver. So if he right. acquires a first round pick, uh, uh, I did it. He acquires the first round pick. It's like I did it. I, I exceeded expectations. There you go, guys. Here you go. Um, but it it is kind of weird, right? Because this is generally considered like one of the best drafts. Uh, of the last what, like five to ten years, and I'm not just talking like outside the like the first like three picks or whatever. Like this is this is considered a relatively strong draft. So for him to say like this is one of the drafts where you know it's it's probably not a bad thing to not have one. It's say it's a it's a little bit weird, mm-hmm. but I, I I don't know. I he's he's supposed to be the amateur scout savant, so I'm not going to question. But that's it. the thing, though. He comes from a scouting background. And what do GMs always say when they trade first-rounders? They know the scouts would take me. The scouts hate it when I trade draft picks. Yeah. Well, you, you traded. he's traded just as many. He mentioned all the uh, draft picks that he's acquired during his tenure. He's traded quite a few, too. Sure. And, and there's probably been more mistakes in the last uh, couple of years than, than in past years, too. Like, we, we're not getting those uh, fifth- and sixth-round gems that they used to be able to find. And what happens if he actually acquires the first round pick now? How do you turn yeah, around and say, well, uh, I shot that. <laughs> yeah. I got this guy. I that what do we do? The draft sucks, but we got this guy. Well, we'll take him. Yeah. Yeah. So I, interesting. I, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know if he was just being honest or if he's just being a little bit deceitful at the same time. I have no idea. I don't know. That is That's interesting. For if you can't offer insight, come on. <laughs> now he gave some insight there. Uh, it's all good. I did read, I did read, um, I forget who it was from, but it was a, somebody on Twitter was pretty good. The 10 2023 first routers have already changed hands in, in, uh, in trades. I wonder if that is an indicator of a lot of teams not really having, uh, basically feeling a little bit like Pierre does that uh, doesn't put a lot of stock in it. But yeah, that's a, that's a great point. If they do in fact acquire a first rounder this year, you know, something pops up that they like. It's going to be a hard sell to the fan base when you just crapped uh, all of the first round. If they do acquire a first rounder, I bet you he turns out to be a better player than Tanner Boucher. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? All right, closing it out with dissecting Dorian. He had the full update on all the Sens RFAs beyond Alex Debrinkit. Yeah, uh, we haven't submitted the papers. Uh, here's who most likely at 99.9% will be qualified. Uh, Shane Pinto, Eric Branstrom, Igor Sokolov, uh, Jato Bernard Docker. Obviously, Alex Zabrinkat is of elect, which we've already done. Not qualified will be Julian Gauthier, Dylan Gambrell, Victor Lodine, uh, Jonathan Aspero, uh, Larson, Dylan Ferguson, and Mandalays will be qualified also. Sorry, sorry for, I jumped over that. Not really any apricot. What? Yeah, no apricot. Man, you love that joke. I'm going to miss that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there is no surprise there. I think the only thing was in the last week or so was there's question marks about Julian Bilchek. He was the only one that maybe, 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 maybe not. Right? Yeah. Gambrell was the 
I mean, he's not a surprise, but that's a guy that played a lot of hockey for the Ottawa Senators over the last two seasons. He played, uh, I think, 120-something games for them. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Where are you at, Graham? Any, any surprises in that group to you? I just think it's a really poor reflection of the team's bottom six that they've been trying over the last two years. Like, yeah. kind of, like Dylan Gabriel's playing a lot of minutes for that team. Cut. Julian Gauthier is acquired at the deadline for a free look at a guy who was a first-round pick years ago. Cut. And it's just like, I don't, to me, it's just like, it's it's kind of just a microcosm of what's plagued this organization for years where they bring in these, like, really crappy bottom six guys to fill depth roles because they're warm bodies. And meanwhile, guys like Eli Tulvanit are, are getting bypassed on waivers, landed with Seattle, having massive seasons and pivotal playoff goals. And you're just like, and you're, you're missing opportunities. And they kind of shoot themselves in the foot. There's like opportunities to make this team a lot better than it has been over years, especially with their depth players. And they're routinely whiffing on, on the quality of their depth players. And I think that's adversely affected their organization over the last couple of years. It's a pro scouting side. We've, we've discussed that many times here. They, they have a difficult time identifying or or even getting a simple read on a guy does he have anything left or not they they seem to miss on that like how can how can you not see that that guy's washed up or this guy's done but then having said that are you, are, are you about to go off on a Johnny O'Dea tangent <laughs> but having said that uh, Eric and Branson didn't look too bad playing elsewhere after he left um I had another one a second ago and now I forgot who it was there's another one who, oh D- Derek step on didn't look too bad after he left, but my God, he was horrible. He looks better when he's free as opposed to trading a second round pick. Okay. All right. (laughs) But but the one thing we haven't discussed, Steve, was Eric Carlson. Yep. That was going to be my finale here as uh, we uh, close out dissecting Dorian. No, it's all good. A couple of things. Third Norris trophy. That's pretty impressive. Although I saw somebody say on social media today, how exactly do you win the Norris trophy when you're a minus 26? Yeah, it's another argument for the whole Bobby Orr trophy and the Norris trophy and splitting it up, offensive defenseman, defensive defenseman. We've been hearing that for 30 years. Clearly, the NHL has no interest in that. Well, it needs a couple more trophies. In his defense, though, in his defense, though, he was off for a ton of empty net goals, which adversely affected. I saw that stat today, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, but let's face it. The man really doesn't really have much of a, uh, has a passing knowledge of defense. Absolutely. No, no, for sure. I'm not. I'm not arguing with that. With he goes out to the club. His wife has to check his coat because is that Clinch's spot in the Hall of Fame, fellas? Greg. Well, yeah. I yes, yes, it does. Of course, it does. Can't play defense, but he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. <laughs> he's one through. Four. What's just what's the stat though? It's like four. Only four other defensemen have more Norris trophies. Correct. Is that? Yep. So. Shall we retire his number someday in Ottawa, Graham? I think you have to generational talent. Um, the the sad part is about him, like he's had a, an awesome career already. Uh, one of the best offensive defensemen we'll ever see uh, in this modern era. The one thing that sucks is like Matt Cook. Matt Cook changed his career. Yeah, like he, you have no idea how good he could have been with two healthy Achilles tendons. And you talk about lost time and everything else. Like what he did on one foot in 2017 is one of the most remarkable things I will ever probably witness as a hockey fan in the city. Right. You'll never be able to replicate what he did that year. Yeah, to put in perspective, he... sorry? Do we want to acquire it? Well, just one thing at a time, Greg. Oh, sorry. 
I wanted to reference at the Sens golf tournament right after the surgery that he had. Um, he's wandering around in sandals just on the golf cart because he pl- can't play golf at that stage. And he's explaining the surgery to us. It was just gruesome. Like when you say two healthy Achilles tendons, like they're healthy now, but they're not both his. One of them's a cadaver. You know, it's it's a completely rebuilt ankle, basically. So uh, it took a while, but I honestly saw a guy this year that was skating better than he ever has. And he obviously had a career year points-wise. And no one's expecting him to be a shutdown defenseman. He's Eric Carlson. He's going to do Eric Carlson things. We know all about him here. But he actually said to um, a guy who writes for NBC San Jose and San Jose Hockey Now, he said, uh, actually, he said it to the Swedish media, and that was reported by this reporter, that he'd be uh, willing to come to the Ottawa Senators if they were interested in acquiring him. San Jose and Carlson, they've mutually agreed to part company. They're in a rebuild. Kind of ironic when you think about it when uh, that's how he ended up being traded in the first place. The Sens entered their rebuild, and that was their first opening salvo, basically. And uh, now it's uh, he's being dealt again by an, a rebuilding team. Should the Senators... Take him up on his offer. I will say this. He is a guy that would solve things in the top four with the overload on the left side. That's something. And uh, and I guess I'd be angling toward if you want to maybe move out Thomas Shabbat. Does it start to make a little more sense? Because they're exactly the same players, only Carlson's a lot better at that game, way more productive. So what do you guys think? Is there any scenario or any deal to be had between the Sens and the San Jose Sharks to bring Eric Carlson home. Graham? I think stylistically, just his age alone, I don't think it makes sense unless you're getting him for a swung. Uh, you're not getting for for anything. You're not trading anything. Consequence, get him. You're getting him at half price. Uh, I think that's the only way it makes sense. But they have too many offensive defensemen who are just, they're not necessarily great defensive stalwarts. Uh, you mentioned Shabbat uh, being a guy who might have to go out the door maybe to address another physician in need if the Senators acquired Carlson. And maybe that makes sense, but I just don't see them going in that direction. Um, I mean, they're comparable kind of players anyways uh, in terms of what they can do offensively. And Shabbat's the younger guy. Uh, he's He's been ingrained with the culture of this team for the last number of years. I don't know if that's the kind of move that you want to make to shake the core uh, uh, of what's here. So um, it, it's not something I would do. I think there's a lot of nostalgia behind a lot of the – the public opinion on this, but uh, it's not something. There are lots of reasons to not do it for sure. I was bringing up enough to provoke conversation about it. That's uh, there's certainly you think about the chemistry and this is Brady Kachuk's team. Now he's the captain. We know Eric Carlson's got a very strong personality, but anyway, uh, I don't want to get all the meat on the bone on this thing. Greg, what's your thought? Well, I think while uh, Pierre was having his media availability today, Mike Greer had one too, the GM of the San Jose Sharks. And he was directly asked about trades in the last couple of days where certain players were traded for close to nothing in these last two days, right? Mm-hmm. And the question was like, is that something for Eric Carlson? And his answer was like, he just won the Norris last night, fellas. You know, uh, no, I'm not trading him for nothing. And made it quite clear he's not doing 50% of salary either. Probably more like 75, he'll, he'll excuse me, he'll retain 25 or something. He's not doing it for 50% of the salary. So that alone tells me, no, this is not a player that I'm interested in acquiring because the cost would be too high. I think the cost, the ask would be, uh, 
I don't even know that they'd want a chikrin. If they're rebuilding, or sorry, uh, Shabbat, I think if they're rebuilding, the ask is chikrin, or the ask is Clevin, and better players than Clevin. It's, hey, give us Norris back. You know, the ask is, is, is going to be way too high here, and the, the cost the cost financially will be way too high too. You can get him for $6 million a year for four years left on his contract, maybe, and you don't have to give up a lot, maybe, but no. Otherwise, I say no. Good luck, Mike Greer. End up defensively, right? Like you look at all the free yeah. parts that happen on the ice, right? Like it's like if, if the centers have to improve in one facet of the game, it's defensively. And I don't think Eric Carlson addresses that at all. No, no. I I wouldn't even consider it if Shabbat wasn't going out because again, it's same kind of player and uh, you know, you, you need to clear out cap space. Um, I think that would be uh that would be step one, um, for me anyway. But you're right, you wouldn't want to Add Carlson onto what you already have, and not, not not move some of that uh, that soft skill out, as I like to call it. Uh, we're going to call it quits there, ladies and gentlemen. Graham Nichols joining us from Roman a day, and I'm sure that the next entry at Roman a day is going to be all about our hot takes here on the Sens Nation podcast. Uh, no, well, you can tell us at what's local happening. Blogger. What, and, uh, local blogger. Thank you, local blogger, for joining us here today on the program. Anything you want to plug on the on the on the site? Uh, no, you can just follow me at uh, gnichols.substack.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Graham Nichols uh, with two E's, not the H A M Graham, not that way. Um, but yeah, yeah, you can follow me on those uh, those avenues. Everybody named Graham is very upset at the way you pronounce their name just now. Graham, that sounds disgusting. Uh, happy Canada Day, everybody. Because, well, we'll probably do one more show before Canada Day. Where, yeah, we'll do one yeah. more show. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely. said that very clearly, too. Canada Day. Canada Day. Yeah. <laughs> it's very difficult to say. Uh, thank you, Graham. <laughs> we really appreciate you being here on the show today. Uh, Greg, great job as always. And ladies and gentlemen, don't forget that our website is sensnationhockey.com. As well, I encourage you to check out the Hockey News. I'm the site editor and reporter there, thn.com slash Ottawa. Lots of cool articles up there, too. So enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, fellas. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen.